This week on Jerusalem Dateline, Britain's new prime minister says Jerusalem is Israel's historic capital. Will the UK be the next country to move its embassy to Jerusalem? Plus, Israel gears up for its fifth election in less than four years. Why experts believe Netanyahu could make a political comeback. And protests in Iran mark a tragic milestone as demonstrations continue worldwide. All this and more this week on Jerusalem Dateline. Hello and welcome to this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. I'm Chris Mitchell. Israel and Lebanon have officially signed a U.S.-brokered maritime agreement, ending a more than 10-year dispute over their borders in the Mediterranean Sea. Israel says the historic deal will bolster its security and provide it billions in revenue from natural gas extracted from the sea. Lebanon also hopes the gas revenue will help its failing economy. This is a political achievement. It is not every day that an enemy state recognizes the state of Israel in a written agreement in front of the entire international community. Critics of the deal argue that Israel surrendered its sovereign territory to Lebanon and say it fails to adequately address threats from the Lebanese terror group Hezbollah. Rishi Sunak is now making history as the UK's first prime minister of color and the first Hindu to hold the top political office. He brings to the job an impressive resume and support for Israel on the international stage. Dale Hurd has the story. While Rishi Sunak will be the first Hindu prime minister of Great Britain, that's been almost a non-issue in a nation in desperate need of a competent leader. Prime Minister. Sunak is the fifth prime minister in the past six years, and there's hope that this one will succeed. I think financially knows what he's doing to run the country. He will be able to sort us out. I think he's been in the right sort of jobs to understand all the intricacies of what needs to be done. You need, do need somebody who's going to have courage to change everything and to shake everything up. Rishi Sunak is described as a proud Hindu who has taken the oath as a member of parliament on the Hindu holy book, the Bhagavad Gita. As finance minister, Sunak lit candles outside number 10 Downing Street for the Hindu festival of Diwali. He's the wealthiest leader in the democratic world. He and his wife are worth around $1 billion. Sunak has voiced strong support for Israel, saying Jerusalem is undisputably the historic capital of the Jewish state, and there's a very strong case for moving Britain's embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He is also opposed to the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against Israel, and has spoken out strongly against anti-Semitism. As for the United States, there are strong ties. Sunak met his wife as a student at Stanford University and he held a U.S. green card until last year. Sunak's experience at Goldman Sachs in helping run a hedge fund will be useful as he inherits an economic mess of high inflation, low growth, and soaring energy prices. Some citizens are refusing to pay their utility bills. And when his predecessor, Liz Truss, offered what some believe was a good plan to revive the economy, the markets bucked against it and the pound crashed to a record low. It is just very, very difficult for anyone um, to both reassure the markets and deliver growth at this point. The two are working against each other. If elections were held today in Britain, the Conservative Party would be wiped out. A recent poll showed the Labour Party holding a 33-point lead. Sunak has two years to turn that around and fix Britain's problems before the next election. As long as he can muster 
of you know a majority uh, in a vote of confidence in the House of Commons, he will stay as Prime Minister. As to whether he can survive that, again, um, governments depend on the confidence only of one thing, which is not the opinion polls or even the markets, but the, the um, votes in the House of Commons. Sunak is described as the least unpopular leader of a very unpopular party. And at 42, he's the youngest Prime Minister since Lord Liverpool in 1812. Dale Hurd, CBN News. Well, on November 1st, Israel will hold its fifth election in three years, three and a half years. Former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is hoping to unseat current leader Yair Lapid. Some polls show him with a narrow edge to create a government, while others show him falling short of the 61-seat majority needed in Israel's 120-seat parliament, leaving open the potential for more political gridlock. Here's an interview I did with Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl and CBN News senior editor John Waggy about what this election means for Israel. John, Julie, great to talk to you about the uh, Israeli elections. John, first to you. This is the fifth election in the past four years. What makes this election different than the last four? Well, Chris, primarily it's that Benjamin Netanyahu may not be the overriding or the only issue this time. Past four elections, it's do you want Benjamin Netanyahu to continue as prime minister or don't you? This time, there are other issues at play, like the violence that Israelis have seen around them, 19 mm -hmm. dead since the month of March. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is wearing on a lot of people, not just people in Judea and Samaria, but people, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, you name it. Uh, the other thing is they just concluded a Lebanon gas deal uh, with much ballyhoo and much help from Joe Biden uh, for the current prime minister, Yair Lapid. That's going to be an issue. Uh, a lot of people are saying Lebanon got 100% of what they wanted. Israel got nothing. So there are other issues at play this time, and that's the big difference. Yeah. Some of the issues that Israelis are going to be considering, Julie, what do you think the mood is among Israelis? Do they feel like this is going to be more political gridlock and maybe a sixth election in the next several months? What do you think they're feeling? Yeah, I think Israelis are pretty tired of going to the uh, polling booths. They're also a bit disgusted at the amount of money that's been wasted. Billions of shekels. One analyst said they could have built a few new hospitals uh, for what they've spent on all these elections. Uh, I think some Israelis, at least, are, are confused, don't know who to vote for. I know one of my friends said particularly she was going to vote for Yair Lapid just to give him a chance. I think people are, are kind of like they would like to see a new leader come up. You know, there's still a, maybe a lot of people are still in favor of Netanyahu. A lot of people are, you know, fed up with Netanyahu, mm -hmm. but they're not talking about it like John said, you know, like they, they were in the past. But, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. John, in 1996, you famously called the election for Netanyahu. People went to bed thinking it was going to be Shimon Perez, and they woke up and it was Benjamin Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. Do you think he can make a comeback, this political comeback? He's now the opposition leader. Can he come back to be prime minister? I absolutely think he can. Uh, every poll that I've seen gives him with 60, 61, 62 seats. 61 is the magic number. Mm -hmm. So he certainly can. He's only one seat away, even from the last four polls, which show him falling just short. So yes, he can. The question is going to come down to turnout and how many Arabs turn out, how many Netanyahu supporters within Likud turn out, how many angry residents of Judea and Samaria who feel somewhat dissed by the current government, how many of them turn up. 
uh, and how big his coalition is uh, with the religious parties. Uh, Julie, speaking of the religious parties, you met with many of them uh, just recently. You interviewed some of them. Why are they so key to a Netanyahu coalition? They are basically his partners. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, you have the religious Zionists, uh, which is a big block. That one has really gained a lot. Um, probably most of those people are just really looking for something that they can say is Jewish. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they serve in the army. They're, they're devoted citizens. A lot of them live in Judea and Samaria. The, you know, and uh, they really, they want to see a change. They want to see a Jewish future for their kids. Then you have the United Torah Judaism, which is the Haredi party that's basically like European-American descent. And uh, they don't serve in the army. They're, um, but they are also very pro-Netanyahu. They always want this Jewish future. You have the Shas party, which is more like the, the Asian North African Jews, Sephardic Jews. Also, they're religious, but they also have a, a big support for the poor and the, those in the periphery and the outer sections. So they all would likely be Netanyahu's partners in in a coalition. They all seem to be doing pretty well. And, you know, we'll see. So there'll be several million people voting next Tuesday, but there are hundreds of millions perhaps around the world that are going to be watching and praying. So how can Christians around the world be praying for this election? John, first to you. I think you look at the world as a whole, and people from other nations are certainly looking at their own nation as well as Israel. And I think it's just prayer for the Lord's will to be done concerning uh, the shaking that's going on in the nations. I personally believe that shaking's coming from him. I think it's coming to Israel as well as many of the other nations. And just that he will have his way in what he wants to do in the nations, including in the elections here in Israel, yeah. which are so important to everyone. Julie, what do you think? How can people be praying? I think really, really for mercy. <laughs> Uh, and that God would make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way for an actually a good government, maybe something nobody has thought of, uh, one that would not bring division but would bring unity. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's just my hope, but uh, that's what I would say. Yeah, well, people would be watching and praying around the world, and we'll be reporting. So uh, thanks for your anal analysis and insight, and we'll be reporting from uh, election headquarters uh, next Tuesday. Up next, from Jerusalem to Tehran, thousands stand united with the women of Iran. Names from the Old Testament are being unearthed all over the city of Jerusalem. This was amazing. Come as close as you can get to personalities that are known from the Bible. Astonishing discoveries made today. A jaw-dropping moment of Bible archaeology. This is much more than a thrill. This is actual history that took place here on the site where we sit right now. Confirm the kings and prophets of the Bible left real evidence of their lives. Right time, the right place, with the right people. And one of the most significant finds in recent history. Exactly as the Bible tells us happened in the days of King Hezekiah. Written in stone, kings and prophets. We have the Bible and we have archaeologists. Telling our story, it's matching. The Old Testament is a reliable history book. Get your copy today for a gift of any dollar amount. Call now or go to cbn.com slash written in stone. Download the CBN News app, 24-7 news from a Christian perspective at home or on the road. One place for all of your news. Breaking news alerts, 
Set daily prayer goals and pray for news stories. Read the most important news and watch CBN News Channel Live. CBN News, because truth matters. Go to CBNNewsApp.com to get the app today. Now is the time for Christians to oppose the anti-Israel boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. In CBN's free guide, Stop the Boycott of Israel, you'll learn about this malicious economic warfare against the Jewish nation. And you'll find out how you can stand beside Israel, the birthplace of our Bible, faith, and Jewish Savior. Get your free copy today. Call 1-800-700-7000 or go to cbn.com slash bds. Forty days after her death, thousands of Iranians gathered at the grave of Masha Amini, the woman killed by Iranian police for not wearing her head covering properly. Her death sparked nationwide protests that some say now pose a threat to the Islamic regime. The protests at Amini's grave brought this huge crowd to honor the woman whose death has become a rallying cry for regime change in Iran. Forty days is a time when many Iranians remember the death of a loved one. Now, more than a month after her death, the protests are continuing inside Iran, even though more than 200 have been killed by the regime. Outside of Iran, women cutting their own hair has become a sign of standing with the women of Iran. At the recent ICEJ Feast of Tabernacle celebration in Jerusalem, Sharon Haskell, a member of Israel's parliament, joined the protests. In the light of these protests, I would like to join them in a global movement, Jinjian Asadi, Women, Life, Freedom. CBN News spoke with Haskell after her address. Just watching the Iranian women and children in the last few days and how brave they are, risking their own lives to march down the streets, to ask for their freedom, to try and fight for their own future is really heart-wrenching. But this is a chance in history for the rest of the world to stand by the Iranian people, to help them. Haskell said the gathering with 70 nations represented was a unique opportunity. What we have here outside are 2,000 Christian believers that that thing can touch their heart. They are the one who can make that difference. They are the one who have the power to influence their government to make that change for those little girls. And that's the most important thing at the moment. These two Iranian exiles also attended the feast and expressed what they're hearing from the streets of Iran. People say we don't need Islamic regime and they want to be free, but the government say no, just you have to do this one, you have to do this one. Yeah, yeah and then that's why they kill people uh, daily. Iranians have protested before, but Saeed says this time it's not the same. This time is very different. Yeah, because uh, they don't have anything to lose. And as before, the people on the street are looking to the world. There's no help from the outside, from strong countries like United States, like so many countries. And right now, people, people in Iran, they're fighting by, their, by themselves, nothing, just, yeah. with nothing, with no gun, but they have just, just heart and just their voice. To believers worldwide, they cried out for these three prayers. Pray for comfort for Iranians hurting and grieving over what's happening. 
and pray for hurting to find their healing and lasting hope in Christ and pray for Iranian Christian inside of Iran that especially in these days we are hearing so many Christians that they are going outside and helping and spreading gospel among uh, non-believers and if you can just pray these three points that would be perfect thank you coming up a major new project could put Saudi Arabia's hidden biblical history at risk. Now, for a limited time, you can get five of CBN's critically acclaimed documentaries. Experience the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. The historic bonds between the Jewish people and the land of Israel cannot be broken. Relive the battle for Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. Jerusalem is yours forever. Discover how Israeli volunteers are changing the world. When people need us, we volunteer and we come and help. Explore the world of Israeli technological innovation. We're people of dreams. God gives us dreams. And that's really the roots, I think, of, of much of our innovation. And understand the biggest land dispute in history. Many Palestinian Arabs claim that the Jews stole Arab land. But is that the real story? This exclusive Israel DVD collection can be yours for a gift of $29.99 or more. Call now or go online to get your Israel DVD bundle, which includes streaming access. Introducing a brand new way to start your morning, the CBN News Quick Start Podcast. Each weekday morning at 7 a.m., get quick highlights of the day's important news, then an in-depth analysis that goes beyond the headlines, insights that matter to people of faith. Discover how God is moving around the world and here at home. Find the CBN News Quick Start Podcast on iTunes or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts, because truth matters. Saudi Arabia is planning one of the most ambitious projects in history. It's a 160-mile-long ultra-modern settlement in the middle of its remote northern desert. But this Saudi megacity may threaten some ancient biblical sites. Chuck Holton brings us the story. For now, the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia is home to more camels than people. That would certainly change if Crown Prince Salman's ambitious plans come to fruition. The heir to the Saudi throne recently announced this region as the site of his new $500 billion megacity called Nyon. The goal is for up to 9 million people to live here in what's touted as the world's most modern, forward-thinking, and climate-friendly city. Few people, however, know about the deep biblical history of this area. Those who do wonder if the megaproject would help or harm the region's historic value. Andrew Jones has studied biblical archaeology for more than a decade. CBN followed him on a week-long adventure to some fascinating biblical sites. Jones believes Mount Sinai is actually located here, very close to the proposed site of the new Saudi megacity. So the, the biggest issue is that Moses, when he was taking care of Jethro's flocks, now that was his father-in-law, 
And when he had fled Egypt, he lived in the land of Midian. And the, the land of Midian the, is in north of Saudi Arabia. There is no archaeological evidence for Midian in the Sinai Peninsula. And it was on one of those days when he was out with the flocks that it says he went to the mountain of God in the book of Exodus. And it says he saw a burning bush on Mount Sinai. So then you'll realize that Mount Sinai is close to the home where Jethro lived in the land of Midian. His theory is that after crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites would have wandered in this very desert. As the team retraced their steps, it was easy to see why water was foremost in their minds. After the Israelites crossed the Red Sea in the end of Exodus chapter 15, it says that they came to the oasis called Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Well, those 12 springs are still here. Here's one of them behind me that's been cemented in over the years, but it's still used by the Bedouins in this area to this day. But will the new Saudi mega project threaten this history? There's a city they call the Wine, which would go from the coast all the way up into the mountains of Midian. And they just announced this next city, which is up in the mountains of Jebel Laws. This whole mountain range we believe it to be the mountain of God. After more off-roading, we came upon this site, a huge mountain with a peak that appears burned. The evidence is all around us that this is the true Mount Sinai. Now, I know there are many proposed locations for the mountain of God, but this mountain here in the land of Midian is the only one that matches all the biblical evidence for Mount Sinai or the mountain of God. This large plain at the base of the mountain would have easily accommodated the Israelites and all their animals. And Jones tells us more. Ron White discovered these pieces of marble when he first came here in the mid-1980s. In 1985, he found on one of the sections written in ancient Hebrew, the name Solomon, the mountain of God, Moses. And so he believed because of these key words that King Solomon actually set up a marble shrine dedicated to the mountain of God at the base of Mount Sinai. And look at this, a large altar centrally placed and covered with petroglyphs. Many of the images depict cows, an animal that in ancient times did not exist out here, but did exist in Egypt. If this is the real Mount Sinai, there was no way I was leaving here without climbing it. The Saudi government has big plans for this whole area, hoping to make it an oasis of modern comfort. Wow, I made it. This is the top of Jebel Musa, the mountain of Moses, where God came down and met with Moses to give him the Ten Commandments. What a hike, what a sight. It took about two and a half hours to get up here. And it was almost three miles from where we parked the car, but it was worth every step. And you know, I don't think we'll ever be able to say definitively whether or not this is the actual spot where Moses met with God. But I guess that's just where faith comes in. From Northern Saudi Arabia, I'm Chuck Holton for CBN News. Still ahead, Israeli archaeologists uncover a sprawling church dedicated to a mysterious martyr when we come back. This summer, meet Superbook's Heroes of the Bible. Three stories of people who fought giants, faced rulers, and stood strong for their faith and overcame. You'll receive this special bonus pack with Gizmo Go's newest episode, Invasion of the Bugamites. Our computer's acting buggy. 
Everybody, this is Rodney from IT. I can fix this on my own. Join the CBN Animation Club and get Gizmo Go, Invasion of the Bugamites, plus two copies to share with others, all for your gift of only $25. And as part of our Heroes of the Bible bonus, receive three additional Superbook episodes featuring the bravest people from the Bible. The Heroes of the Bible bonus includes a giant adventure. Esther, for such a time as this. And Roar. Join the CBN Animation Club today. And for a limited time, receive the Heroes of the Bible bonus as our way of saying thanks. Here, we're committed to a heritage of rigorous scholarship dating back over a thousand years. And to a faith tradition dating back a thousand more. This is how we create a culture of inquiry where no topic is off limits. And a culture of hope. It's Christian leadership. And it's changing the world for the better. It's higher learning. It's greater knowing. It's what makes us whole. It's what makes us regent. Orphan's Promise is committed to loving and serving at-risk children, to helping keep families together, and to creating opportunities for strong and sustainable communities around the world. We're working in over 60 countries, and with your help, we can do even more. We are out to change the world, one child, one family, one community at a time. Will you join us? Israeli archaeologists have located an impressive church dating from early Christianity not far from here in Jerusalem. Thousands of youth from around Israel helped to excavate this find a few years ago. CBN Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl has that story. The 1,500-year-old church is about 28 miles from Jerusalem. Archaeologists found it during a salvage excavation before expanding the community of Ramat Bet Shemesh. Israel Antiquities Authority Excavation Director Benjamin Storchin explains. We've been uncovering amazing remains of a Byzantine church complex. The church covers an area of about uh, one and a half dunams. It includes typical Byzantine architectural elements, a basilical church, a narthex, courtyard or atrium with subsidiary side rooms. Storchin says early Christians built the huge church in the 6th century AD during the reign of the Emperor Justinian and later expanded it. They decorated the church with spectacular mosaics, frescoes and Greek inscriptions. This church by far surpasses most of them by its size, its preservation and its association to a martyr. An inscription says the Christians dedicated the church to a glorious martyr. The identity of the martyr is unknown, but due to the grandeur of the church, archaeologists say the martyr was likely an important person. We have now descended into the subterranean crypt located below the bema of the church. A separate entrance and exit allowed groups of pilgrims to pass by the crypt easily. This is the reliquary niche. You have to reconstruct here that there would have been a marble chancel screen to uh, mark off the sanctified area from the, uh, the assembly hall. And here would have been placed the relics that were kept in the church. Some 5,000 youth from around Israel excavated the site. It's super fun. I really like working with my hands. And when we come, like we come here, the whole group, we really get to, to bond. We get to see stuff that we wouldn't get a chance to see if we're in for here. 
while excavating here, we found something like 300 uh, clay oil lamps that are dated to the Abbasid period. Artifacts from the excavation are on display at the Bible Lands Museum in Jerusalem. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. Well, that's all for this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also access CBN content through our CBN News and other CBN apps. And don't forget to sign up for our email blast so you can continue to receive all of our exciting CBN content. I'm Chris Mitchell. We'll see you next time on Jerusalem Dateline.